0: Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
1: After an almost decade-long run of unchallenged dominance in Serie A, the tide has turned for Juventus. No longer the reigning champions of Italy, the old lady has lost some of her prestige and now finds herself in an unfamiliar position and out of European spots. I'm joined by a man who literally wrote the book on the club, Juventus correspondent Adam Digby, to unpack the club's fall from grace. Kigo Lasso, a deep dive to Juventus, begins right now. Hey everybody, welcome to Kigo Lasso. Thank you so much for being part of the family. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Pod. We are now verified, so you better follow us, all right? And YouTube, we've passed 6,000 subscribers. Thank you so much. I have no doubt it's because I told you Adam was going to come on the show. You were like, we better get this verified. We better get 6,000 subscribers. And we're also on Apple Podcasts. Leave a rating and review Spotify wherever you listen to your pods. Right then, today is about Juventus. I'm an absolute giant of a club, but right now, these days, not so much. And it's a pleasure to welcome Adam Digby. Adam, how are you, my friend?
2: I'm good, Luis. How are you?
1: I'm good. I'm so excited to have you Um Listen, I've been. Ta- we were talking before taping. Adam and I made a friendship, as many do now, through Twitter, through social. And you know, uh, fan of your work. Uh, I know that you have done so much. By the way, not just being a correspondent for Forbes, for Serie A, and of course Juventus, uh, but also you wrote the book uh, Juventus: A History in Black and White. So you, my friend, are a perfect, perfect uh, guest to have as we discuss. Juve Serie a, by the way, which don't forget, you can watch exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Before we get into it, Adam, I wanted to just quickly ask you about your own history. I mean, such an expert about Juventus, but how did that come about?
2: Uh, I've always watched Juventus. I've always been a fan. I, I started to go um, late 90s, early 2000s when Juve were really good. Um, when they actually won that, that trophy with the, the big handles on the side oh yeah 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 <laughs> um and i i started my own uh, personal blog um maybe 2010 11 when Juve were not so good um and and it just escalated from there i started to get some paid work and then that snowballed over and over into to write as you say writing a book and now with a, a column in forbes so it's it's going well and i obviously i love what i do and like yourself and it's taken me some great places.
1: Absolutely. And you're based in Turin, is that correct? Mm-hmm. That's love. So your Italian is uh, is perfect, I guess, or close uh, to
2: it's, it's, <laughs> it, gets there. it. Gets me by.
1: You know what? It's better because it's better than when, uh, you know, uh, in France, if you try and be good in French. I feel the French are a little bit more, uh, I feel Italians are a little bit more welcoming when it comes to, to their language. That's what I've experienced anyway.
2: <laughs> yeah, definitely. They appreciate the effort, right? <laughs>
1: Nothing against you, France or Jonathan Johnson. I love you so much. But let's talk about Juventus, Adam. Let's uh, Obviously, from the intro, everybody, and it's no surprise, especially if you are a supporter of Bianconetti, that the club is uh, struggling, uh, I think, uh, on the pitch, off the pitch, some recent news regarding some controversy uh, with a transfer investigation scandal. We're going to get into that, I promise. But, Adam, my first question to you really was uh, talking about the present that's really what I want to focus on right now and then we'll get into it a little on of course uh seria okay seventh in the table 8 points shy of a champions league spot 12th from top uh talk to me about juventus and and how is it is it just basically because the challenges are that much harder with napoli milan inter etc or do you think max allegri has lost his toucher a little bit or is the league really that much more competitive
2: Uh, Probably all of the above. (laughs) Really, as as much as that's a a dodging a bullet answer, I think you you look at the way that uh, Inter have, have, even though they've changed coach, they've got some great continuity. They've carried on from what they built last season in winning the title. Napoli looked great at the start of the season, faded a little bit now. Milan are the same as they were last season. So the challenges for Juve, the challenge is to Juve, are all there and they're all better than they have been probably at any point in the the decade that Juve have dominated, as you said right off the top. Um, but then, yeah, it comes. It really comes back to Juve and and the fact that they're really really struggling. They they struggled in Max Allegri's last season three years ago. Um, they struggled through Sarri's season, but still won the league. They struggled as anybody who's watched All or Nothing, the Amazon Prime series recently. They really struggled last season with Andrea Pirlo, but but looked like, as you see through that series, and as we saw watching the games last season, they looked like they were building something new, something fresh, something, God forbid, modern football at like Juventus, and then maybe got a little bit scared of, of where that was taking them because they weren't top anymore and went back to the, the security blanket of Max Allegri, and that's not worked out as, as anybody expected, really.
1: Yeah, I I reviewed the show uh, as well. And that's kind of the essence I got. It was, you know, it looked promising, you know, modern players coming in, young ones, Chiesa, Weston McKinney, you know, there was sort of an energy to it. But then the biggest question mark was obviously Andrea Pirlo, a man with no experience from a coaching perspective. And I thought, "Mm, how's this going to go down? And of course, still with Cristiano Ronaldo being the center point of everything and that Catapulted itself into Max Allegri coming in. I feel, Adam, that sometimes Juventus are a team a bit like Manchester United, too much in love with their past, at least from a domestic perspective, and unable sometimes to adapt to the modern game. Definitely in Europe. I mean, the last time they won the Champions League was uh when Tupac and Biggie were alive. So it's it's been a it's been a long time. Do you let me ask you something? First of all, I mean, I know that it's a it's a tricky one, but as you see the season, it's December, obviously halfway through. Coming very shortly. Where do you do you see them getting a Champions League spot this time around? Is it becoming more difficult than not?
2: Um I, I don't think it's too difficult to get the Champions League spots. We saw that last season, even with Pilo. Obviously, mm. you have to caveat that with Ronaldo was still there. But you look at the way that Napoli have faded a little bit, Milan too, have struggled with injuries, and, and we've seen before in the past Stefano Pioli teams tend to fade eventually. Um, I, d- I don't think the top four is beyond Juve by any stretch of the imagination at all. Um, I, I think, and that that somehow is disappointing, which is really is is really indicative of where Juve have, have been over the past ten years. But yeah, I think they can still get in that top four. You look, it's uh, eight points now. It's it's not difficult. You look at the the form guide there as well, and, and Napoli have got just one win in five, so yeah, they're already sliding a little bit. Milan again, two losses at the end and a, a draw at the beginning, it's 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 well within their grasp to get that top five. I think Fiorentina and Roma, Roma are definitely in a decline at the moment, aren't they, from where they started off the season two. Jose seems to have, have gone back to Manchester United and Tottenham, Jose, rather than the, the character which we saw at the start of this season. So, no, I think the top four is 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 easily, not easily, but is definitely within Juve's grasp. And that the fact that we even have to have a discussion about that shows really how much they've they've slipped from where we expected over the summer.
1: Absolutely, a very good point. Notice how I asked you, can they get top four instead of can they win it? right? Which is an even yeah. harder uh, challenge, I think. Here's another one for you because obviously you're based in Italy, you know it. The league, you uh, Juventus very well. Something that I'm always intrigued by, and of course we have great colleagues here that know the league so well. Marco Massini, Matteo Bonetti, uh, Dray Cordero, of course. But I'm wondering, just to somebody that's based there, how do other Italian clubs and supporters, I guess, perceive Juventus? Is it with reverence, with disdain? I feel like sometimes it's a little bit like United in the 90s, right? Unless you were a United fan, everybody hated you. City, I guess, in many ways. How do other Italian supporters from other clubs view Juventus?
2: I think the the best way to sum that up is everybody's second favourite team is whoever beat Juve last. <laughs> They, I love it. They, 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 Juve are hated from yeah. from top to bottom in Italy. Like, mm-hmm. un- unless you're a Juve fan, uh, even even for Inter fans, I would say that they they you Inter's bitterest rivals even over Milan. And we know how big the the Milan derby is, and they, that's a special, special game and a great rivalry. But Juve are everybody's least favorite team without, so, without And and right now, even some Juve fans feel the same way. So.
1: Right. Yeah. So basically, uh, it it was what I thought then as much everybody. uh, I like the way you said it. Anybody that beats Juventus becomes your second favorite team. And that has more to do with, you know, uh, not just their instability right now, but just overall, just the way that they have been. I feel that there's a little bit of a superiority complex with Juventus. Is that fair to say that some other, you know, mid-table clubs are thinking, you know, just because you have controlled Serie A for so long doesn't mean that you're the only club in Italy?
2: Yeah, and it it comes to the the politics of Italy as well, right. where the north is 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 hated by the south, and, and right. the, the big northern cities, Turin and Milan, really are seen as as uh, thinking that they're above everybody else. And in 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 many ways, they are. But it, Juve tend to rub people's noses in it a little bit too, and then winning all the time on top of that never goes down well, does it? And yeah, they're just hated by everybody, really. <laughs>
1: There must have been an explosion of it when Cristiano Ronaldo joined, because that's a, a, a double, especially, uh, you know, if you're an Argentinian uh, that, that that roots for anybody other than, um, than Juventus, obviously Messi-Ronaldo fight. But let's talk. Well, listen, not everything is doom and gloom. And obviously you said it's not totally impossible for Juventus to climb up that table. But the Champions League is something that, you know, they're doing well. They are. In the knockout stages, they topped Group H above Chelsea. It was an achievement, but, you know, losing 4-0 to Chelsea did expose a few things, of course, towards the end. Maybe that was because they already knew they were through, but regardless, so it still exposed a lot of against Thomas Tuchel's side. What is the mood around the club after being drawn against uh, Villarreal in the round of 16, especially a club that just beat another Italian side, Atalanta, uh, to get here in the first place? What, what are they feeling like?
2: I think it's it's a draw that um, it takes away all the excuses, doesn't it? Like if you've if you've got drawn against PSG, we can say, oh, they, they they got beaten by a better team. They're growing. They're still trying to find their way without Ronaldo. All the usual cliches. With Villarreal, if they lose to Villarreal after the last three years of um, Porto, um, Ajax, and uh, Leon then it just really shows where UVA are in the, the overall scheme of, of European football. So it, it really takes away all those excuses. And as you said, they, they topped the group and they beat Chelsea in the, the first meeting between the two teams, but then they got completely undone, didn't they, in that second one, 4-0. Um, and that game, if if you want to take the negative point of view or, the, as I like to say, the, the honest point of view, that game laid bare everything that's wrong with this Max Allegri team, they're, they're yeah. playing in an old-fashioned way. They're hoping to keep it nil-nil, maybe grab a goal on the break and, and grab a 1-0 win. And they're doing that against Chelsea, against Venezia, against Malmo, whoever. That's just the way that they play. And football, as as everybody who watches football in the wider world knows, that's not football anymore. You're not winning a football match 1-0 today, you, and, unless you're a smaller team and you get lucky against a big team. Two big teams against each other, it's not finishing 1-0 because – Everybody has goals in them and and Juve are playing a, a throwback style of football that, that had no place in the game when Max Allegri left three years ago. And he, he's still trying to play that way now. And, and Thomas Tuchel just embarrassed him, really, to be perfectly honest. And you can say, if you want to take the optimistic view, you can say they were already through and all of that. But for me, it was just a, a, a real litmus test of where this Juventus is and the result is the result.
1: Yeah, no, we're showcasing a lot. And I think also Jose Mourinho is probably somebody that probably can join that they haven't learned about, you know, the adaptation of modern football. So we'll see. But uh, is there a realistic expectation, though, that the club could win the Champions League? Do you think that's something that supporters might think or is that just way too far fetched?
2: It's it's a pipe dream at the moment, Luis. I think when we when we're looking at the the Serie A table and saying can they get in the Champions League, if you if you're a team that's going to struggle to qualify for the Champions League, you're not a team that's going to win it, are you? You know, and it's it's yeah. that 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 idea of winning the Champions League that Juve had even at the start of last season, and again at the start of this season with with Ronaldo before he left, and and the players that Juve have got that that was a realistic aim. But I think the reality of the situation with Without Ronaldo and with Allegri playing this way, it's it's just completely unrealistic right now.
1: Well, you mentioned Ronaldo. I want to go to Ronaldo because, uh, as you said, you know, one of the main reasons is, if not the main reason, was so Cristiano Ronaldo would help Juventus, you know, go back to the Champions League final and hopefully win it. It didn't happen. So let's judge the Portuguese uh, stars' time at the club. You know, I, I'm wondering your own thoughts. Just basically, well, first of all, we saw a lot, obviously, in that all or nothing documentary but how would you yourself uh, assess that uh factor Ronaldo's arrival his time at Juventus and overall really I mean he did great domestically let's not forget that but obviously Juventus's objectives with him was to also win in Europe it didn't happen how would you assess Ronaldo's time there
2: I think you you, you can't say anything about the way that he performed in Syria even last season when they finished fourth he still he was still the leading scorer, he was still the, the star man. He he can still deliver. We see even we see that now with Manchester United, or you know he's he's unimpeachable in in that respect and in in domestically in Syria, his record is phenomenal and and he deserves all the credit in the world for that. He did struggle in in the Champions League to deliver the way that we've seen at at Real Madrid, but I think it all comes back to the same thing for me. For Juve, he was a massive success off the field. Juve's profile, social media reach, all of that did incredibly well, shirt sales, everything you would expect. But I think in terms of everything else, you look at the signing of Cristiano Ronaldo and the fact that he was earning over €30 million euros a season net, um, which is five times more than anybody else at the club. That has to come, to me, that has to come, you have to pay that almost out of your marketing budget and forget that that's a, a footballing expense. And and what Juve did, they they went over and above to to secure him but then expected that to just be enough. And the squad before Ronaldo had problems in midfield, they lost, as we know, without going over ancient history, they, they lost Pilo, they lost Vidal, and then eventually they lost Marquiseo and Pogba as well. And they kind of tried to just make, do amend, even before Ronaldo. They signed, OK, they signed Pjanic, but then it was Sami Khedira on a free, Blaise Matuidi from PSG, Rabio on a free, Aaron Ramsey for free from Arsenal. And... Over and over, the, the, the management of the club promised to sign a a delict for the midfield, an Higuain for the midfield, but that never came. And they went and signed Cristiano Ronaldo, which if that's your decision, that's your decision. But you, you still had a problem in midfield. Ronaldo can't play at left back. Ronaldo can't play in central midfield. Right. And the squad was flawed. And now he's gone. We see all those flaws laid bare because they're not being carried domestically by 30 goals from Cristiano Ronaldo. And... That, that ultimately has to be the judgment. Ronaldo was great, but the club around him and the team that they put behind him just wasn't good enough. And if 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 you want to, to see the evidence of that, look now when he's not there. You know, it's, the team is a disaster and and that is partly coaching, partly transfers, partly the fact that Ronaldo left at the last minute. But without Cristiano Ronaldo... They're not even in a Champions League place. So yeah,
1: I, I hope I hope Manchester United fans uh, are listening to this. Go, ahead, keep going, keep going, my friend. Because yeah, uh,
2: no, yeah go ahead. Yeah, it's that, that that's just the reality. They they still need some some input in midfield. Signing uh, Manuel Locatelli is a a great move. He's a, an excellent excellent player that makes a big difference. um But with Artur injured and still not making a big impact after coming from from Barcelona. Weston McKenney's been up and down. If you watch the All on the Thing, a little bit like his waistline, he's been up and down. Um, <laughs> yep.
1: <laughs> he liked his cheeseburgers,
2: that's it. <laughs> yeah, 18% body fat. I still got yeah, that get over that.
1: <laughs> that was one of the things I wanted to highlight. That's right. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Aaron Ramsey seems like he's already left. He's mm. still under contract, but it seems to all intents and purposes like he's gone. Um, and then. Rabiot and whoever else it just never seems to click properly and I think some of that is the tactics but more largely it's down to the personnel they need a they need another big name in there another another uh, impactful signing um and 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 until they address those issues we're going to see the same problems because this is this goes back to 2017.
1: Yeah I see the Juventus issue with Ronaldo pretty much from everything that you said as the same way that how you know when you're watching one of these um you know, uh, do it yourself or uh, HGTV will design your house, uh, build your house kind of shows uh, the same way as Juventus and Ronaldo, where the house is beautiful, decorated with the best kind of furniture, the best kind of wallpaper. You enter the the rooms, the living room, the toilet, whatever, and it's beautiful, but there's no heating system. The kitchen doesn't work. The foundation is crooked and you could maybe, you know, falter yourself to some mold. And that's kind of like what I see when you, when, you know, nothing against Ronaldo, but, you know, when you put so much focus and you pay him that much money that you you mentioned, you're completely disregarding and ignoring so many other factors in the squad. And now, as you said, uh, that's exactly what you're seeing. So do you think then that this can be rectified? Is this something that will take perhaps uh, more than a season, two seasons, three seasons? If so, if you do think it can be rectified, uh, how can this be done not necessarily in a ten-year process, because I'm sure Juventus fans are getting impatient.
2: Yeah, and the, the, that's the thing. It, it won't be a ten-year process with Juventus. We've seen this, you know. And it's—I'm—I'm I'm 44 years old. UV have won 22 league titles while I've been alive, and a right. Serie B title as well. So right. they—they're never too far away from the next trophy, even in the the bad years. the the longest The longest they've gone without winning the league in my life is uh, eight years. So it's—it's—it's it's, it's never going to be a long-term thing. It, it took. Andre Agnelli, two years to get to the title when he came back in and they'd finished seventh twice before that. So it's 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 imminently fixable. We look at the teams in Serie a, and even when we looked at the league table, all those teams have a flaw, you know, and Juve could, with a couple of signings and the right manager, Juve could definitely get right back among there. So, yeah, I think it is fixable. I think you look at the, the other thing is, to that as well is, you look at the squad and it's easy when, when, when things are bad and they're drawing with Venezia and everything is a disaster, um, you can, you know, they don't have the quality. The, 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 it's a terrible team, this and that, but you look, you actually look at the squad and okay. Chesney might not be Gigi Buffon. Nobody is, but he's easily on par with any of the other goalkeepers in Serie A right now. Yeah,
1: he's very You good. look,
2: yeah. you look at the center, center of defense. You have Matthias De Ligt, who is the best young player defender in the world by by quite some distance, I would have said. Chiellini and Bonucci just won the Euros, playing the the same modern style that that we're crying out for Juve to play. Then in midfield, as I said, you have you have Locatelli, maybe Arthur. You don't know, but Weston McKennie can certainly play that way and, and contribute. Uh, Rabio is a is a, a big player for France now. He's playing all the time. France won the World Cup. Okay, he wasn't in that team, but he's playing for them now. And then in attack, you have no no shortage of options. You know, dibala Kulusevsky, Federico Chiesa was phenomenal at the Euros. So th- there's plenty of talent there. You just need one or two key pieces, a, a striker who's actually not afraid to score goals and, and a, another midfielder and a, maybe a left-back. And you're right there already, you know, and it's that's not that difficult when you, you look at all the other pieces that Juve already have. It won't take much. And that's the frustrating thing is we've, we, Whether it's winning the Champions League in 17, 18, 19, or doing much better last season, or or now this season where Juve find themselves seventh, it's been the same story all along. They're one or two players away from being where they want to be, and that's why it's really frustrating because it's so close. But then when you watch them drawing with Venezia and lumbering to a win against Malmo, it's it seems like it's a million miles away.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news. visit roberthalf.com today
1: yeah you mentioned andrea agnelli there adam and obviously he was a major factor in the super league uh first of all how did fans react to that um obviously we saw a little bit of that in the all or nothing thing but obviously you being there what was the overall perception when that was announced
2: it was it was a lot more muted than it was in Italy. it, it was in england i think mm. we saw a big output and rightly so you know i think Fans protesting and all the uh, um, unrest and the um, opposition to it is the main reason why it went away. Let's be honest. If if everybody still if nobody made a noise, then they would have carried on, wouldn't they? Like all these statements about the integrity of the game and wanting to go back to the way it always was, uh, uh, just paying lip service to the fact that fans said no, so the clubs backed out. And in in Italy, it was a little bit of the oh here they go, the big teams trying to grab money, but nowhere near the certainly weren't queuing up outside the clubs and banging on the gates in protest like they did in England. Um, and it just seems to be one of those things where that, that just met with a bit, a little bit of indifference. You know, a Shrug and a Juve Milan and an Inter. As I said before, when we're talking about Juve, they already think they're better than everybody else. So let them go and play in their own league and, and we'll <laughs> carry on kind of thing. But yeah, yeah it's it, it just it really just came and went in, in no time at all. And they left the protests to everybody else and just kind of just, okay, whatever. Okay, it's gone. And, and that's it, really. It wasn't it wasn't anywhere near the, the outcry and outpouring and outrage that it caused in the rest of the world, almost.
1: Right, but it's no secret that Agnelli does still has it as a dream, as an objective. Uh, what are your own thoughts on the club's persistence, I guess, with this uh, Super League idea? I,
2: I, I often wonder with with Andre Agnelli, his, his, his words about um, wanting the best for European football and wanting the best for, he wants what's best for Juve. You know, he's the Juve owner and and he, he absolutely should want that. And I think we've seen over the past 10, 15 years, Serie A has definitely declined from, from its position as one of the, or as the ultimate league Destination league in Europe's top five leagues, it's, it's maybe third, maybe fourth, like depending on how you view those other leagues. And we know that's a a, a kind of a arbitrary thing, but it's it's certainly not top. Let's put it that way. And and up until the last two years, Juve were playing in a league of their own almost. You know, no competition, and the the TV deals are all. Um, tied up in red tape, as everything is in Italy. Anything to do with anything, to get anything done takes time. We've seen that with Fiorentina and Roma wanting to get new stadiums. We see it in in, in every facet of Italian life. And I think Andrea Agnelli is just trying to cut through all of that and get the maximum value for Juve that he can. And in many ways, you can't blame him for that. But personally, I don't think the Super League is the answer. I think that the answer is to 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 take Syria and lead Syria back to where it was before, okay, maybe you're not ever going to be top again, you're not going to overthrow the Premier League's uh, financial superiority, but you can certainly bring it back there in terms of entertainment, in terms of the players and the clubs, and you look around and you see the, the history and tradition of Serie A, the great clubs, Juve, Milan, Inter, the, the, the clubs that you would say maybe are a level below that in, in Roma, Fiorentina, and then other clubs, you know, traditional clubs that we all love to watch, whether that's Parma, Atalanta, Torino, Sampdoria, um, Fiorentina, they're great, great clubs in great stadiums. And you you can sell that if you do it properly. But I think yeah. the problem is nobody's been selling it properly. It's just, oh, here we go. And it's it's great for, for the, the US audience that, that Paramount and CBS have got this deal and put, put Serie A back into the spotlight. And the work that's being done to have an office in New York and all of that is fantastic. And that's what Syria needs. You forget the Super League, make Syria make Syria great again, you know. That's that's exactly <laughs> what it needs because 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 as somebody who watches it every week, it is great. You know, yeah. the, the teams are still great, the football is great to watch. And if you go to these stadiums, okay, they're not the shiny, clean, pristine viewing platforms that you have in the NFL or in the Premier League, but they're still great to go to, you know, going to Bologna and, and having a nice meal in the town centre and then going to the Dallara is a wonderful experience. Verona is a brilliant place to watch football. Venezia. And th- there's so much more to Venezia than those incredible kits and taking a gondola to the stadium. You know, <laughs> It's Venice. Yeah.
1: You know? Yeah. Yeah. Then, no, you're spot on, man.
2: That's, that's the truth of Serie A. There, it's in great cities, in great old stadiums, with great teams playing in great colours in front of incredible fans. Just sell me that, because if, if you do it properly, Serie A will be fantastic, and you'll be able to make your money, and you won't need a Super League, and then everybody is happy.
1: Well so. said, my friend. Well said. That's part of the reason why we love so much uh, and what we're trying to do here at Paramount Plus to try and you know celebrate, because I think something that I believe the Italian League has above anybody else is that celebration of, of culture and celebration of history? The nineties, by the way, when football Italia and all that stuff was going around, like as you mentioned, Battistuta and Ronaldo phenomenon, Inter and a young Del Piero and all that stuff. It was also celebrating those cities. To your point, so absolutely coming back to it, I love it. I love it. All right, let's move on here, and let's start. Let's go back to Juventus for a second, the club itself, and what's going on off the pitch. And I, in layman's terms. Adam Digby, explain to me uh, what's behind this transfer investigation scandal.
2: OK, so it's about—it's basically about inflating the value, allegedly inflating the value of players that you sell so that you have uh, higher value assets on the books. And Juve have been targeted, their offices have been raided for uh, evidence that Juve have been doing this, largely because Juve are a publicly traded company. So they have a responsibility to their shareholders. They're governed by um, the the financial institutions who run the stock exchange. So they're governed by a different set of laws to everybody else. So even with Napoli, one of the high profile transfers that was investigated was Victor Orsiman going to Napoli. But Napoli are privately owned. So if they've inflated the value of their players, that's their business. If you have done it, that's financial fraud that is defrauding their shareholders. So it's viewed in a different way. The difficulty then is if I sell you uh, Meryl and Pjanic for 50 million, who says he's not worth 50 million?
1: Right.
2: You know, And then the the second part of that is if I sell you Meryl and Pjanic for 50 million, you have to be willing to pay it too. So it, it's not just a one-way thing and it can't just be one club because just one club can't do a transfer. You can't sell a player to yourself. So I think it's going to be very difficult to find any hard evidence of any wrongdoing. I think there's a, a lot of smoke about it at the moment you can point to. And I wrote an article for it on Forbes, which you can find pinned to my, my Twitter profile that goes into a little bit more detail. Um, but I think it's going to be very difficult to prove the fact that this player is not worth this amount, because we see all the time transfers that your club, Aston Villa, Michael Juventus, whoever's club, you look and you go, they paid how much, whether that's a player that you bought or sold. Is, is Jack Grealish worth hundred million? Is Is Merlin Pjanic worth fifty million? Like who who can really say? So I think it's while we can say it, maybe that's a little bit of an overpay. It's very difficult for somebody to come in and categorically say no, that's not real. That player's not worth two million euros because what is a two million euros player in in twenty twenty one? It's a very difficult thing, isn't it?
1: Right, and the key difference, though, right, is that you know when most clubs are privately owned, etc. Juventus is a public entity, so to speak, in terms of shareholders. So that's why they're smoked. But to your point, it's going to be very difficult
2: to yeah. justify
1: that. Are there any transfers uh, that we know about involving a certain player, or is it just overall?
2: Yeah, the the Osiman one, as I said, they they sold uh, four players to Lille, who were the, the French club where they got Osiman from, in in a, in a reversal of that transfer for about 1.5 million euros each, and two of them don't actually play football anymore. So it's, <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's very difficult then to, to see how they were worth 1.5 million. The Merlin Pjanic and Artur swap deal between Barcelona and Juventus yeah. is another one where is Artur worth 72 million? He's a Brazilian international. He used to play for Barcelona. This is where the difficulty comes, right? Yeah. That's more than Dusan
1: Blahovic right
2: now. Yeah. yeah. But it's, but then Vlahovic is out of contract, so it's uh, yeah. Because my know, whole
1: thing, my whole thing has always been a player's worth is relative to how much that club needs him. So yeah. you know, so you can basically justify anybody to your point. Jag really, yeah. And
2: I million. think, yeah. 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 And I think that's where the the difficulty comes because if it's a swap deal, then you say your player's worth fifty, I say my player's worth seventy. Actually, I just sold you a player for twenty million, and you gave me another player. Yeah. You know. But we added fifty million euros to our books together and that's that's where the difficulty comes in. So it's 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 those swap deals that are being looked at most closely because of the inflated values going in two directions.
1: Yeah. So how serious is it then? Where do you think it will end up?
2: Um personally at, at this at this time, December the fifteenth, twenty twenty one, I think it's just a lot of smoke in a in a situation that's very, very difficult to prove any actual wrongdoing. Yes some of these figures do look bloated but look around you know go to a couple of Premier League clubs transfers over the past two years go to any Premier League clubs transfers over the past two years pick any player you want and you can say they overpaid by 10 million and and I probably agree so it's it's a really difficult thing to prove beyond any doubt that, that this happened and I think maybe you've end up with a, a a, a problem with the, the shareholders and the financial police, but it's, on a sporting level, it's very difficult to see that any wrongdoing is proved whatsoever, to be honest, in, in my opinion. Does
1: this, so first of all, it's a two-part question. As we wrap up here with Adam, they'd be uh, talking about the transfer scandal with Juventus, but obviously, as you mentioned, a little bit, just uh, smoke and no fire, but January's approaching. Uh, is Juventus planning any kind of acquisition? And if so, will this current transfer scandal affect that?
2: I, I don't think it will affect that. I think in the past, over the past decade when Juve have been successful, we've seen January used as a, a repair market, they usually call it, just to fix any any minor issue. Oh, we've had an injury at fullback. We need to sign a backup left-back, that kind of thing. Mm. The, the issue is Juve have never gone into a January so far behind with so many problems but then if you go buying in January, you're going to overpay because clubs don't want to part with their best players. All of that. So it's it's really difficult to see Juve fixing any of their actual problems in January because it is so difficult. And it does go against everything the club have done. The the two things I would say against that are, it's a different sporting director than in the past. It's uh, Cherubini, who was the assistant to Fabio Paratici last season, overseen by Maurizio Rivabene from Ferrari. And as we see when we watch Formula One, they're not averse to making huge changes in the middle of the season. So maybe, um, maybe this time it will be different. And again, we've never seen UV in so much dire straits it, in in uh, relation to the league, posi- league position and the, the points on the board so far. So maybe this time it will be different. I find that difficult to see, but maybe... I don't think the, the transfer scandal will have any impact and and maybe the league table will have much more of an impact in making you actually go out and, and fix some of these issues. Speaking
1: of fixing these issues, let's finish off with this final question, Adam. I'm going to put you on the spot. Let's say uh, Max Allegri is out. Adam Digby is in. You come in and how would you fix this club, at least this season, at least this season. If the if the objectives are, if, if it's not to win Serie A, but it is to get Champions League, that's one, that's two sides, right? And then there's a third other factor, which is how far can you go in the Champions League? Because even if you don't win it, the further you go, obviously financially, it's going to help you. So what would you do in January to help Juventus climb up the table and go far in the Champions League?
2: Firstly, I'd like to thank my mum and dad for helping me get this new <laughs> job, and, and, and to everybody who helped put me here as, as coach of Juventus. Um, but um, I think I, I actually we discussed this conversation on a, a, a Twitch stream with my friend Giuseppe and with Christine Cooper from uh, CBS and Paramount. Yeah, that's so right. That's Our good. friend
1: Christine. That's
2: right. Yep. So when we were discussing it, what we what we realised is when you look at the Juventus squad, however you change the formation, you have a weakness somewhere. OK, so Juve have currently been playing four four two, but that means playing Adrian Rabiot on the wing, which is it's a disaster. Yeah. No, but wh- wherever you change the team around, if you go to a back three, you have a problem at wing. Where do you play Federico Chiesa? If you go to four three three, what do you do? But for me, I think four three three is the answer because you have Quadrado and you have Alexandro or uh, Luca Pellegrini can play at left back. You have the three great centre-backs, Bonucci, Chiellini, De Ligt. So you're absolutely fine there. In midfield, you have Locatelli, who would then be freed up to get forward a little bit more rather than holding in a two. And then the other two, you can kind of, depending on who you're playing against, some combination of Artur, Bentancur, Rabiot, you can make a nice three, I think, with those. Then when everybody is healthy, you have Chiesa on the right. And then if we remember two seasons ago with Maurizio Sarri, Paolo Dybala played as the number nine. Yeah, and that's that right. That yeah. he, was, he he actually dropped Dybala in October for playing too deep and told him, if you're going to play as a proper number nine, I'll put you back in the team. And he did it. And Paulo Dybala was Serie A MVP in a team that had Cristiano Ronaldo. So I would do that again. And then on the left, you can play Moise Keane there. You can play Kulusevski there, Bernadeschi. Okay, they're not great options. But if that's the one weak area of the team, is the left wing in a 4 3 I'm much happier with that. I've got the MVP. I've got the the star of the Euros in in Chiesa. I've got a midfield three that has Locatelli in it. And I have a solid back four and a a half-decent goalkeeper. So it's the lesser of all of the evils for me. And then the big thing for me, though, is just to go and play on the front foot. Stop sitting back. Stop trying to win 1-0. You've got all those players. And all those players, when they play at international level or when they played in other clubs, have all played that more up-tempo, win it high up the pitch, take it to the opposition go and win the match 3-1 kind of style we saw Italy do that in the euros with Brunucci and chiellini we've seen france do that we see uh, locatelli has done that for italy and chiesa as well argentina don't exactly sit back and defend do they you know with and they have dibala and then Kulusevsky can play that way whoever Keane, did it at psg we the players are used to that style okay they're not they don't have the big names there like they had in the past with ronaldo or, or whoever but The players are all used to that style. Go play on the front foot. Go try and win some matches and rely on Bonucci, Chiellini and Dillick to keep the door shut at the back because they're the best defenders in the world. They can do it. So for me, the answer is 4-3-3 and then start playing some attacking football because if, if you have problems, if you score three goals, your problems look a lot less, don't they?
1: Well, my friend, I think you have the job. Well done, Adam Digby. You got the job, my friend. Just don't ask for too much of your contract because you never know how much uh, you might or might not get. But well done, my friend. I love it. Adam Digby, it's been an absolute pleasure. Before we say goodbye, is there anything that you would like to plug? I'm going to plug you myself, but anything that you're doing uh, as we look ahead to uh, the Christmas and holiday season?
2: The Italian Football Newsletter from Curve Calcio is is in my Twitter bio for, for subscribers. We do a podcast every week. We just got finished recording a Uh, listener questions AMA uh, episode just today. Um, I've got a a column out at the moment talking about Fiorentina and the great work that Vincenzo Italiano has done there. If you want to watch a decent Serie A team, watch Fiorentina right now because it's much more enjoyable than watching Juventus. Um, And maybe you can tear yourself away from the the hipster paradise that is Venezia for five minutes to (laughs) to enjoy that. You know, but the the teams are there and I'll, I'll be writing about them all season long. So... Well, anything that gets me away from writing about the depressing state at Juventus at the moment is all good by me.
1: I love it. I love it. There's nothing depressing about you, my friend. Adam Digby, ADZ77 at on Twitter, of course, Juventus correspondent for, uh, and correspondent for Forbes, but also with his great book, Juventus, a history in black and white. Adam, it's been an absolute pleasure. Grazie. Thank you, my friend. appreciate it.
2: Grazie, Luis. Thank you. The pleasure is absolutely mine. It's been great and I've had great fun. So hopefully we talk again soon.
1: One thousand percent. Thank you so much, everybody. Make sure that to, you can keep watching Serie A on Paramount Plus and CBS Sports. And make sure to follow us on Kegolaso Pod on Twitter, YouTube.com forward slash Kegolaso, CBS Sports, your CBS Sports app, Apple Podcast, Spotify and wherever you listen to your And I'm just going to do a quick final read here. The biggest events of the NWSL offseason are happening this week with the NWSL Expansion Draft and the NWSL College Draft. The Expansion Draft welcomes two brand new clubs to the league. Coverage kicks off on Thursday, December 16 at 7 p.m with the full two-hour event airing on CBS Sports HQ, CBS Sports Network, Twitch, YouTube, and Paramount+. Plus. The NWSL College Draft is just two days later on Saturday, December 18th, starting at 2 p.m. with live coverage on CBS Sports HQ. Listen to Attacking Third with Sandra Herrera and Lisa Roman for full NWSL Draft previews with guest experts and live draft recaps following the coverage on HQ. Find Attacking Third on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or watch on YouTube.com forward slash attacking third. Adam, thank you so much for listening to all of that. And thank you for being here, everybody. Have a great, great rest of your week and enjoy the holiday season. We'll see you next time.
3: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can conquer it.